0: So this afternoon we'll begin the loving-kindness meditation, which this word loving-kindness is a translation for the Pali word metta, and the, the translation loving-kindness, that kind of comes from the Judeo-Christian tradition, and I've always felt it was a little melodramatic for what the feeling actually involves. My teacher Bhante Gunaratana, who um, wrote Mindfulness in Plain English, that great classic of uh, Western mindfulness practice, he prefers the translation friendliness, which is speaks a little bit more to the essence of this state of heart or state of mind. It's really just this very natural feeling of of goodwill towards another living being, and it's something that we all have experienced, that we all experience routinely. So it's not a really kind of exalted, highfalutin state of mind or quality of heart is something that's really very natural and very familiar. We may just never have really uh, specifically looked for it or directed the attention to it. So that's what we do in the metta practice, is that we take a a piece of time to um, really consider and reflect on this very natural and very beautiful state of mind. The practice in the way that we do it here is very, very ancient. It's thought to date back to before the time of the Buddha. So uh, it was a practice possibly that was uh, in practice uh, in the kind of early Vedic communities or possibly early Tantric communities. And it's thought that the the Buddha thought it was a good practice, so he incorporated it into what he was teaching. And we can look in some of the, the oldest recorded texts from this tradition and we find the practice in exactly the same form that we're about to do it now. So people have been doing this for thousands of years in this way as a way of opening the heart, opening the heart with a sense of connection and kindness to other beings. And it's traditional to incorporate uh, this practice at least a little bit, at least this one hour or so a day into the mindfulness practice um, because it helps to soften the heart. It helps to loosen up any tension or brittleness that may have developed during all the long hours that we've been working so hard to be mindful and pay attention and doing it all wrong. And um, it's very easy in the Vipassana practice to get a little tight, to get a little tense, to get a little brittle. So this is a practice that helps us to loosen up the heart, to soften everything up. And the way that we do it, if you're not familiar already with this practice, is that we choose a being. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into the meditation. We bring them to mind. uh, We kind of conjure up a sense of who they are, how they are. And then we offer them our good wishes. And there's four traditional wishes that we offer. These are these ancient phrases. We offer the wish of safety, freedom from fear, freedom from danger. We offer the wish of mental happiness, whatever that might mean. So a sense of peace, contentment, happiness, joy, mental well-being. We offer the wish for physical well-being. Again, whatever that might mean. So it might mean uh, health or just comfort in the body, being content with the body as it is, being able to um, withstand the vicissitudes of the body as best we can. And then we offer the wish for what we might call prosperity. Uh, traditionally, it's translated as ease of well being, which is a little cryptic, but this is just the wish that this being might be able to provide for themselves for their basic needs, uh, be able to take care of their families or any other people that are dependent on them. So, the wish for just kind of basic uh, material uh, comfort and well being in the world. And we offer these wishes specifically because they are universal. You know, these are things that we can wish for really any living being. So a housefly wants these things for themselves or, you know, Barack Obama wants these things for for himself. So for any being in the world, these are things that we can be confident they want. We all want to be free from danger. We all want to be at ease in our minds and our bodies. We all want to be able to take care of ourselves without too much struggle. So these are really universal wishes. Because the quality of metta, the quality of loving-kindness, is really an unconditional feeling. So it's said that it's, it's illimitable in, in the sense that there's no limit to the number of beings that we can feel it for. It's possible to feel it for those that are nearest and dearest to us. It's possible to feel it for ourselves. And ultimately it's possible to feel it for every living being in the universe. So we'll begin with the practice now. And it's best to do this uh, in a comfortable posture. So perhaps not sitting as rigidly as you do for the mindfulness practice, unless that's what's comfortable for you. And it's okay to shift around a little bit as we do this, just quietly and mindfully. We wanna keep the body comfortable so that the mind can also be at ease and relax. And letting the eyes close. Coming back into the sense of connection with the body. Feeling ourselves sitting. Feeling the breath moving through the body. Connecting with a felt sense of our presence here, taking in the fact that here we are in this particular body, this time and this place, alive. That we are, each of us in this moment, a living being in the world. We don't tend to think about ourselves in this way. So just taking that in a little bit. Here we are, the small, warm, living creature on the surface of this small blue-green planet. And what is it that we want for ourselves Seeing if we can connect with the space around the heart and find some point of connection with what's really our deepest wish in this life. And again, this may not be something that we're used to considering in this way. We may have been taught that it's selfish to think too much about our own desire for happiness or self-centered or there's so much else in the world to worry about and so many others that are more deserving than we are we can have been told all sorts of stories that keep us from really connecting with the deepest wish in our hearts which is for happiness so can we allow ourselves to sink into the heart and touch that maybe verbalizing that to yourself in whatever way feels really authentic and really sincere. So this is not just a dry academic exercise but to see if we can really sink into that tender place in our hearts that longs so passionately for happiness, for peace, for ease, for everything to be well for us in the world. This is the starting point for all genuine loving kindness. We can't offer to another living being a genuine well-wishing until we can connect with our own desire for well-being in our own hearts. I want to be happy. I want to be peaceful. I want to be content. I want to feel completely satisfied. Whatever this wish might be for you, And to whatever extent we can acknowledge that and really feel that longing in the heart, can we find it within ourselves to wish that for ourselves just as we might wish it for our dearest friend? Can we be our own dearest friend? wishing for ourselves these four universal expressions of goodwill and friendliness. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be at ease in my body. May I be able to live in the world easily. So if we're new to this practice, we might take a little time and find the expression of these wishes that feels sincere, that feels authentic for us. Different people formulate them in different ways. So the first wish for safety could be just simply, may I be safe? Or may I be free from danger? May I be free from fear and harm. May I be protected from all forms of harm. These are all various options. But it's important to come up with our own that feels like it resonates for us. So just seeing how you might express that wish second wish for happiness there's also many different ways to formulate this maybe just simply may I be happy or may I be free from mental suffering may I enjoy peace of mind however it feels right to us to express that Considering what words you would choose for this wish. <coughs> and the third wish the wish for physical well being or physical ease. We might just simply say, may I be healthy? Or if that feels like it's too complicated or not precise enough, we might wish, may I be free from physical suffering? May I be at ease in my body just as it is? May I be comfortable in the body? So finding those words that resonate for you. The fourth wish, the wish for ease of well-being. May I be able to live in the world easily May I enjoy prosperity? May I be able to care for myself without struggle or difficulties? Finding that way of expressing this wish that fits your own language and your own understanding. And then offering these wishes to ourself. Reconnecting with the sense of our presence here. Seeing if we can touch into that place in our heart that genuinely longs for real well-being, for true happiness. And then seeing if we can find it in our hearts to wish that for ourselves, like a dear friend. May I be safe, may I be happy, may I be at ease in my body, may I be able to care for myself without difficulties, using whatever language you've found resonates for you. and leaving some space after each wish to be sensitive to the response of the heart to see what comes up in the wake of that wish how does the heart react whatever reaction comes up is fine it's just simply to notice so this portion of the practice is really a mindfulness practice We offer the wish and then we see what arises. May I be free from danger and fear. May I be free from mental suffering. May I be free from physical suffering May I be able to live in this world with ease. So just repeating these phrases, offering that wish to ourselves, and then giving some space to see the reaction of the heart before moving on to the next one may I be safe and protected may I be happy and peaceful may I be comfortable and at ease in the body. May I be able to care for myself and those who depend on me easily and joyfully. And just as with the mindfulness practice, anytime that the mind wanders off and we lose the thread of the meditation, we just start fresh again when we find ourselves back in the present moment. Reconnecting with a felt sense of ourselves, with our wish for happiness, and just beginning again to offer these four wishes. If it feels like we're ready to move on, then we might consider a second being that we could offer our friendship to, offer our goodwill to. And this next being is what we call a benefactor. So somebody that's been kind to us, somebody that's been generous to us, somebody that has helped us in some way, perhaps a teacher or a mentor, or perhaps somebody that we don't know, that's a public figure that's been an inspiration to us. So kind of going through our list of people that might fit this role, we want to choose somebody who's very easy to feel kindly towards, who's very easy to look on with friendly eyes So probably not someone that we have too complicated or too intimate of a relationship with. So for example, a a spouse or a parent or a sibling or even a very old friend may not be the best choice for this being, but someone who we have a relatively uncomplicated relationship with, but just a real genuine sense of gratitude and appreciation for. finding someone who will fit this description. Oftentimes the first being that comes to mind is the best one. And bringing them to mind, maybe visualizing their face, seeing them smiling and happy, or remembering a time when they were particularly kind helpful to us, bringing to mind their beautiful qualities, the things that we really appreciate about this person. And once we feel like we've gotten a good felt sense of this being, then offering them these same universal wishes of goodwill, the very same things that we wish for ourselves, May you be free from danger. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be at ease in your body. May you be able to live comfortably with ease in this world. Again, using whatever language for these wishes, feels authentic for you, and continuing at your own pace, leaving that space to notice the response of the heart after each wish. May you be free from suffering. May you be free from fear and danger May you be free from mental suffering or distress. May you be free from physical suffering or distress. May you be able to care for yourself easily and joyfully. May you be safe and protected. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be at ease in your body. May you live with comfort and without struggle. And returning to ourselves to end the meditation. Maybe taking stock just for a moment of what's come up in the course of the meditation. And if there are tender places that have been uncovered, offering ourselves our own care and compassion. We might even place a hand on the heart And just give ourselves that gesture of caring and protection for the places in us that are vulnerable, that are deep. And perhaps reconnect with that wish for ourselves that we may realize our deepest longing, that we may be deeply happy, profoundly peaceful, that we may come to realize our full potential in this life as human beings for our own benefit and also for the benefit of all those around us that we touch. May we be free from suffering and may all beings everywhere be free from suffering. We have a few minutes, if there are any questions about the metta meditation. I know this is new for many of you, or even if it's not new, there are always new things that can come up. Oh, sorry, yeah, yes. Why did you kind of not exclude the exclusive kind of explicitly, but why did you not say about friends and families that we love? Mm-hmm. And their mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So today I explicitly mentioned considering ourselves to offer our wishes, and also the, the benefactor figure, somebody who has been generous or kind to us in our lives. So why didn't we inc- I include friends and family, all of those really important people in our lives? Um, there's a traditional progression to the loving-kindness meditation, and it's designed really to follow the path of least resistance, because as we all know, or we will know soon, <laughs> you can't force the heart. You can't force it to open. So over many millennia of doing this practice, um, people have discovered kind of the, the easiest into it. And t- traditionally, this is through ourselves. You know, the, the Traditionally, we're the ones that we care the most about, that we're easy, it's easiest for us to connect with a sense of caring for ourselves. Um, in the West, however, we're all really neurotic, and it's not always the easiest in. So we also offer, along with that, the person who's traditionally the second in, the, in line of being easiest to offer our good wishes to, a benefactor figure, somebody who's been really good to us, somebody that it's very easy to have a sense of appreciation and gratitude towards. Gratitude is a really easy in to, to metta, to a sense of goodwill and loving kindness. So if we can find somebody that, that fits that description that either either ourselves or a benefactor figure for most of us is the, the easiest path into metta. Not for everybody. So this is an area that we explore as we get familiar with the practice. But we're actually going to introduce the practice in, in the traditional progression over the course of the retreat. So maybe tomorrow, tomorrow Annie will... Um, talk about uh, continuing to ex- extend the feeling and the the wishes of metta to uh, our dear friends or people closer to us, but it's uh, very quickly we find that it really is true that ironically, <laughs> the people that are closest to us in life, you know, our our spouses, our children, our parents, other family members, you know, dear friends, um, the very uh, messiness of our relationships with them makes it more difficult to just offer that very simple. Feeling of, of uncomplicated well-wishing. Not that we, you know, can't feel that for them as well, but there just maybe more that comes up that is, is uh, messy around those people. So we start in the in the, the easiest way, and we progress in the easiest way, and we never want to feel in the practice like we're, we're pushing the heart or we're trying to really like tear it open, you know, and and uh, move it into places that it's not ready to go. So, for example, starting with ourselves or starting with a benefactor figure. Um, If that's all that we're comfortable with, if we feel that we really can't move past that to people that we have more complicated relationships with, then we just stay there for as long as we feel like we need to. It will be just as beneficial. We don't ever really need to move to uh, any other being. We could just pick one being and stay with that person forever because really the whole point of the loving-kindness practice is that it's unconditional. This feeling of metta, when we really tap into it, is equally available to everybody. It's really a mood of the mind. It's a mental state, the mental state of goodwill, of friendliness, uh, much like the mental state of irritability or anger, right? (laughs) Like we've all had those days when we just get up on the wrong side of the bed and, you know, our partner or our coworkers or or whoever happens to come into contact with us while we're in that mood is the lucky recipient of our, you know, irritable mood. Um, So in a way it's it's unconditional, unconditional irritability. (laughs) You know, it doesn't really matter the being that comes into our view, whoever comes into our field will will receive that energy from us. And it's really the same way with uh, loving-kindness, with the metta feeling. It's a feeling, it's a state of mind. And in the same way, when, we, when that's really flowing, when that's really strong in us, whatever being crosses our path, whether it's somebody really close to us or a stranger, or the birds outside, or whoever it might be, people that are difficult in our lives, um, when that feeling is really strong and present in the heart, then it will just naturally fall on whoever comes through our field, whoever appears before us. So it really doesn't matter what being we choose to cultivate it, just so long as we find a being that that is is helpful, that's easy for us to um, connect with in that way. That was kind of a long answer to your question, but just to give you some sense of the the direction of the practice and how it unfolds so as the days progress we'll get into working with with different beings in your lives yeah is there one way in the back
1: comes up where before the people that that don't do, it's a more difficult thing to do. Is that your experience that, in in your practice as an example, that you found that naturally things come up, that are subconscious and and you're able to see things more
0: clearly as so when when you talk about things coming up from the subconscious, what, can you clarify that a little bit?
1: been able to transcend what seems to be irrational towards the time. Mm. And I
0: was just wondering if that's just a process, or if that isn't really something that meditation has an impact on. Mm-hmm. So the, the possibility for meditation to really overcome deeply programmed negative views we might have been given about ourselves. Is that right. getting to it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, What I have found for myself and what I've found from talking to probably now thousands of yogis during the time that I've been teaching here and back in DC is that the power of our minds to uh, transform themselves through this practice and and through other uh, means as well, other uh, disciplines, is profound. It's it's far greater than we expect it to be. It's far greater than we give ourselves credit for, for it being. That we really are uh, able to significantly alter uh, the course of our personalities, of our lives, of our perceptions of ourselves, of our way of relating to the world. Um, You know, I wouldn't be here doing this if I didn't believe that was the case. Um, And yet, at the same time, it's constrained. It's constrained by our conditioning. So the, the... Power of this practice is tremendous it can have amazing impacts on how we are in the world and how we experience ourselves and how we experience our lives but there are certain parameters that we have to work within you know we have to work within the container of all of the conditioning you know at least from this lifetime and possibly from many lifetimes before as the traditional teachings go um, that have brought us to be the people that we are and to have the minds and the bodies that we have and to, to be in the world that, that we the way we currently are so I think of this practice kind of um, as trying to drive like a big uh, uh, luxury liner, kind of like the love boat. I grew up in the 70s, <laughs> you know. So you you can turn the love boat, you know, <laughs> but you can't turn it on a dime, you know. You have to work within the parameters of what's possible for that vehicle. And it's the same for us, you know. If, if we're if we're determined, if we're persistent, if we're patient, then we can turn this this kind of big behemoth of all of our conditioning uh, in a dramatically different direction. But we have to work within the parameters of of what we've inherited, uh, what we've uh, come to to have as our conditioning in this lifetime. So you know, the the way in which that plays out for each individual person can vary dramatically, and oftentimes uh, what we get. Is not what we thought we were going to get out of the practice or not what we would like to get out of the practice um, it is a very organic process and the, the, to some extent it's a leap of faith we have to really uh, be willing to surrender ourselves to unfold in the way that our system has to unfold for us given the parameters that we have to work with and usually we don't know what those are usually we don't know where we can shift or how much we can shift at any given time on our path but if we're patient and we're willing to, to go with the flow of it, then I've seen time and time and time again that dramatic change, dramatic transformation can happen for each of us. So I don't know if that speaks a little bit to what you're asking. Yeah. Maybe one more.
1: Form seems kind of stilted and droning, like they're not my phrases, and there's mm-hmm. something about it that seems extremely unemotionally emotionally mm-hmm. evocative to me. So I'm wondering if there's
0: any tweak or something. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like a very dry, <laughs> or it can seem like a very dry practice at times. It's, 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 it is this very formal it's in a, in a, in kind of in contrast to the mindfulness practice, it's a very structured, very formal uh, kind of practice, very techniquey kind of practice. Um, so it is very important to make it our own, and that um, should be evolving over time. So it's really important, uh, for example, if this is your first time kind of delving into the metta practice, find phrases that really you can stand behind, that you can really get behind. Put them in your own language. Can take a little time to reflect on, okay, what is this meaning of the wish for safety? What's that really about? Okay, we, none of us wants to be afraid. None of us wants to live in fear. None of us wants to suffer from harm and all, all the various forms that it can manifest in the world. So to take a little time for each of those to, to reflect a little bit, what does that really mean for me? You know, is there a way in which I can language that, I can understand that wish in a way that that really makes sense, that I, I understand that's true for me, and I can also see that, you know, really nobody wants to be in a situation of feeling like they're in danger, feeling like they're unsafe. So taking a little time to really take each one of the one of those in on a on a, on a heart level. And then putting the language to it that resonates. So not just using the kind of the traditional phrases or whatever phrases I might offer. Um, just because we say so. <laughs> but, but putting language to it that works for you is a really important part of it. And then also, for, di- for different of us, you know, we're, we're wired differently. Some of us are very visual. Some of us are more, uh, I forget what the word is, but more visceral, more of a felt sense of things. So to find a way of bringing the being to mind that, again, is very juicy for us, Um, so we, we kind of want to tug on the heartstrings a little bit, you know, we want to play the violin, you know, um, what's really beautiful about this person that we can connect with, you know, think about the beautiful time that we had together or think about ourselves and, 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 something maybe really wonderful that we've done for another person or something that, that we really believe is a strength that we have, a beautiful quality that we have. So again, taking a little bit of time up front to, to establish those relationships with the, the various pieces of the meditation. The meditation is a little bit busy because it has these three pieces. It has the piece of one forming forming this connection with the being that we're offering our wishes to, whether it's ourselves or another being. We have to cultivate that a little bit. Um, it has the piece of offering the phrases. And again, we've got to reflect and cultivate those. And then it has this piece of offering the space to see what comes up in the heart, which is an important one. So we don't want to just be reciting... The phrases by rote, you know, maybe may you be saved, may you be, you know, it's it's not a mantra. The point is not just to kind of spit them out and get them over with, but to understand what we're saying mentally as as we offer that wish. What's real to really connect with the meaning of it, and to take as much time and go as slowly as we need to to really get that, really connect with that, and then see how this heart responds. And it's important to remember with this practice that the point of it is not actually to manufacture a feeling of metta. (laughs) We can do this practice for years and never feel anything that we could remotely identify as metta. The the point is to do the practice and see what it brings up. Um, There's a great quote from Rumi, which I can't remember exactly, but it goes something along the lines of, uh, your task is not to create love in the heart, but to uncover all of the impediments to it. And that's really how this practice works. It's said to be a practice of purification. So for most of us, we don't just have immediate instant access to that feeling of free-flowing, unconditional kindness. And we won't for a long time, probably, (laughs) if we're really being honest with ourselves. But we do it a little bit, we get some little tastes of that, and then we see a lot of other things that are not metta, that are not kindness. And that's really the important work of the practice to see the indifference that comes up, to see the animosity that comes up, to see the jealousy that comes up, to see all of these other things that come up that are our impediments to to having that feeling of friendliness universally. And so little by little, we expose all of that. And through the seeing of it, it's the seeing of it, the knowledge that will set us free. Uh, once we see that we have those impediments, then the, they begin to, to loosen, they begin to weaken, little by little we can more and more come to understand um, the things that are holding us back and gradually the heart will let go. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing process, it's an ongoing investigation and we need to be patient and not, um, not feel like we have to force it or fake it in any way. We can just let this practice unfold in its natural way and trust that process. So I don't know if that, that helps at all, yeah. So keep if it, if you feel like it's not quite working <laughs> experiment a little bit more see how you can make it juicier yeah. All right time for walking